Section 12 of History of the Jews in Russia and Poland, Volume 3, From the Accession of Nicholas II Until the Present Day, by Shimon Duvnov, translated by Israel Friedlander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by S.S. Kim, Anikt Baisho, Portugal. Chapter 36, The Counter-Revolution and the October Massacres. Part 1. 1. The Fiendish Designs of the Black Hundred Soon afterwards, on August 6, 1905, the so-called Bulgarian Constitution was made public, providing for a truncated imperial Duma with a system of representation based on class qualifications and limited to advisory functions, but without any restrictions as far as the franchise of the Jews was concerned. Now, wrote the Voskot, the Jew has the right to be a popular representative, but he has no right to reside in the place in which the Imperial Duma assembles in the capital. Russian Jewry, with the exception of its left wing, was on the point of starting an election campaign to send its representatives to this mutilated Duma in the hope of attaining through it to a more perfect form of representation, when the stormy course of events brought to the fore new threatening questions. This counterfeit of a national parliament failed to satisfy the Russian democracy, and the struggle with the government broke out anew with unprecedented energy. Stormy political meetings were held at the universities and at other institutions of higher learning, which by a new case of August 27, had been granted academic self-government. The autonomous professorial councils began to admit Jewish students to the schools without any restrictive percentage, and the wave of an agitated Jewish youth was drawn into the holding sea of the Russian student body. A new succession of strikes followed, arranged by the students, working men, and railroad workers. A general Russian strike was being carefully prepared as a last resort in the struggle for a democratic constitution. The army of the emancipation movement was instituting a bloodless revolution, the temporary stoppage of all railroad movements and of all other activities in the country in the hope of forcing Tsardom to an act of self-abnegation and the proclamation of civil liberties. The month of September and the beginning of October were spent in these feverish preparations, but at the same time, the Black Army of Absolutism was making its own arrangements for a sanguinary counter-revolution, for regular St. Bartholomew Nights directed against the participants in the emancipation movement, and particularly against the Jews. The plans of the emancipation army were universally known, but the terrible designs of the dark forces of reaction were effectively concealed. Only when the bloody undertaking was accomplished was it possible to uncover the threat of the criminal program organization, which led from the palaces of the Tsar and the highest dignitary of state by way of the police department to the slums of murderers and hooligans. In the disclosures made by Lobov, in November 1905, in his memorandum to Witte, 
the President of the Council of Ministers, the officials in the immediate environment of Nicholas II, who had organized the October pogroms, were pointed out by name. They were the patriotic General Bogdanovich in St. Petersburg, who acted with the blessing of Archbishop Vladimir and with the assistance of the Imperial Camarilla and of many governors and governors general in the provinces. During the month of September, fighting contingents of the Black Hundred, whose number, as Bogdanovich boasted in the highest government spheres, amounted to 100,000, were organized all over Russia. In every city, the parts to be enacted by the administrators, the police, and the pogrom hirelings from among the local riprap were carefully prepared and assigned. The pogrom proclamations were printed openly. The manufacturing center of this propaganda literature, as was afterwards disclosed in the Imperial Duma by Deputy Uzrov, formerly Assistant Minister of the Interior, was located in the printing office of the police department. There can be no question that the Tsar was acquainted, if not with all the details of these preparations, at least with the general plan of arranging a counter-revolution by means of carefully engineered massacres of which the Jews were to become the chief victims. Millions of rubles for the organization of the pogroms were appropriated from a secret 10 million ruble fund, the disposition of which lay entirely in the hands of the Tsar. Such were the conditions which ushered in the month of October 1905. The first days of the month saw the beginning of the railroad strike. By the middle of the month, it had already seized the entire country, accompanied in the industrial centers by a general strike in all lines of productive endeavor. In many cities, collisions took place between the revolutionaries and the military. At first, the government made an attempt to resort to threats, and all over Russia rang the bloodthirsty cry of the chief of police, Trepov. No cartridges shall be spared. But at the last moment, autocracy recalled from the revolutionary tempest and gave way. On October 17, an imperial manifesto was issued solemnly promising to bestow all civil liberties upon the Russian people, inviolability of person, freedom of conscience, liberty of speech, assemblage and organization, and the legislative duma in which the representatives of all classes of population were to have a voice. The manifesto made no mention, however, of the equality of all citizens before the law or of the bestowal of equal rights on the various nationalities, and even in the accompanying memorandum of Premier Vite, the author of the enactment of October 17, the subject was disposed of in a few nebulous phrases. Nevertheless, even in this hazy form, the manifesto made a tremendous impression. Everybody believed that autocratic Tsardom had been vanquished by the army of liberty, and that Russia had been finally converted from a state founded on police force into a body politic based on law. But on the day following, all these hopes were cruelly shattered. On October 18, in hundreds of cities, the carefully concealed army of counter-revolutionaries, evidently obeying a pre-oriented signal, 
crawled out from beneath the ground to indulge in an orgy of blood lasting a full week, October 18 to 25, which in its horrors finds no parallel in the entire history of humanity. 2. The Russian Saint Bartholomew Night The principal victims of this protracted Saint Bartholomew Night were the new Huguenots of the Emancipation Movement, the Jews. They were to pay the penalty for having assisted in wresting from the despotic government the manifesto with its promise of liberties. In the course of one week, nearly 50 anti-Jewish pogroms, accompanied by bloodshed, took place in various cities. Odessa, Kiev, Kishinev, Kalarash, Simferopol, Romney, Kremenchuk, Chernigov, Nikolaev, Yekaterinoslav, Kamenets-Podolsk, Elizabethgrad, Orsha, etc., in addition to several hundred bloodless programs marked in regular fashion by the destruction of property, plunder, and incendiarism. The pogroms directed against the Christian participants in the emancipation movement, such as intellectuals, students, etc., in Tver, Tomsk, and other interior Russian cities amounted in all to a score or two. This disproportion alone shows the direction in which the organized dark forces were active. The strict uniformity and consistency in the carrying out of the counter-revolutionary conspiracy was too palpable to be overlooked. The customary procedure was as follows. In connection with the manifesto of October 17, the progressive elements would arrange a street procession, frequently adorned by the red flags of the left parties and accompanied by appropriate acclamations and speeches expressive of the new liberty. Simultaneously, the participants in the patriotic demonstration, consisting mostly of the scum of society, of detectives and police officials in plain clothes, would emerge from their nooks and crannies, carrying the portrait of the Tsar under the shadow of the national flag, singing the national hymn and shouting, Kura, beat the Zids, the Zids are eager for liberty, they go against our Tsar to put a Zid in his place. These patriotic demonstrators would be accompanied by police and Cossack patrols or soldiers, ostensibly to preserve order, but in reality to enable the hooligans to attack and maltreat the Jews and prevent the victims from defending themselves. As soon as the Jews assembled for self-defense, they would be driven off by the police and troops. Thereupon, the patriotic demonstrators and the accomplices joining them on the way would break up into small bands and disperse all over the city, invading Jewish houses and stores, ruin, plunder, beat, and sometimes slaughter entire families. The most terrible pogrom took place in Odessa. It lasted fully four days. The rioters were openly assisted by the police and troops and were encouraged by the active support of city governor Neidhardt and the criminal inactivity of the military governor Kaulbas. The heroism displayed by the Jewish self-defense was strong enough to beat off the hooligans, but it was powerless to defeat the troops and police. 
over 300 dead, thousands of wounded or crippled Jews, among them many who lost their minds from the horrors, 140 widows, 593 orphans, and more than 40,000 Jews materially ruined. Such was the result of the battle which was fought against the Jews of Odessa during October 18-21. to 21. Approximately along the same lines, the pogrom campaign was conducted in scores of other cities, with a few lurid departures from the customary ritual, as, for instance, in Niezin, in the government of Chernigov, where the Jewish community, headed by the rabbi, was forced by the rioters under the pain of death to pronounce publicly the oath of allegiance to the Tsar. As a rule, the pogroms which occurred in hundreds of cities, towns and villages were limited to the destruction of property, although even in small localities such as in Semyonovka, in the government of Chernigov, the riots were occasionally accompanied by massacres. It may be added that the outbreaks were not confined to the Pale of Settlement. In a number of cities outside the Pale, such as in Saratov, Boronies, and other places with a small Jewish population, the Jewish communities were ruthlessly attacked. Contemporary history is not yet in a position to depict all the horrors which were perpetrated upon the Jews in Russia in the latter half of October 1905 or to trace with any amount of accuracy their underlying causes. Let us draw a veil over this bloody spectacle. There will come a time when the world will shudder on learning the truth about the bloody happenings and about the real culprits of this prolonged Bartholomew night at the beginning of the 20th century. The sinister counter-revolution which broke out on October 17 the day on which the manifesto of the Tsar was promulgated, threatened to drag the revolution into the abyss of anarchy. All were profoundly aroused by the perfidious Byzantine policy of Nicholas II, who with one hand waved the peace banner before the progressive section of the Russian people, and with the other plunged the knife into its heart, a knife which most of all was to slash jewelry. Not only the parties of the extreme left, but even the constitutionalists who were willing to accept the promises of the October Manifesto had little faith in their ultimate realization. A reign of chaos ensued. The parties of the left demanded now a democratic, now even a social republic. The political and labor strikes, among them those arranged by the Jewish Bund, assumed the character of anarchy. The peasant or agrarian movement burst forth, accompanied by the burning of manors and estates. Poland and the Baltic region were in the throes of terrorism. Moscow witnessed an armed uprising with barricades and with all the paraphernalia of a popular revolution, December 1905. The government quelled the Moscow rebellion and resolutely adopted a policy of repression, arrests, executions, Punitive military expeditions were the means by which the program of the Vitte-Durnovo cabinet was to be carried into effect. The reactionary camarilla around the Tsar operated in full force, fanning the hatred against the Jews. On December 23, 
the Tsar received a deputation of the ring leaders of the Black Hundred who had organized themselves in the League of the Russian People. One of the speeches appealing to the Tsar to preserve autocracy was devoted to the Jewish question. The deputation begged the Tsar not to give equal rights to the Jews. To this, Nicholas replied laconically, I shall think it over. End of section 12